Good morning. It's Tuesday, May the 5th. We're reading through the Bible. And today we're in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapters 10 and 11, the New Testament or in Luke 24. I want to get you ready for your reading by having you think through what's going on in chapter 10. Solomon here, his fame as he's established not only as a prosperous king who's built this amazing structure, but his fame has gone far and wide. And a queen from the south, the queen of Sheba, we don't know quite where that is. Some speculate it's Ethiopia, comes and visits after hearing about Solomon and his wisdom and his wealth and prosperity and everything. And she is blown away, to put it in modern terms, by what she finds with Solomon. It's just an interesting uh, interaction and one that reminds us of how God had blessed Solomon. And with all of that blessing, we see then in chapter 11, he starts to take his turn south. And we'd already started that in some ways, but now we see really the apostasy of Solomon and we see why. Uh, back in Deuteronomy, it was told that you were not to have a king that would multiply wives. That was a statement because in the ancient Near East, uh, it was a prohibition because in the ancient Near East, they would do that for political reasons. Instead of trusting in God, they trusted in these alliances. We've already seen Solomon marry uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and now we're seeing him marry a bunch of gals who bring these idols into Israel, and he begins his descent away from the Lord. He turns his heart away from the Lord, as it says, and this is the beginning of the end. Actually, we don't even get through the whole chapter before Solomon is gone which is interesting because it's only been a handful of chapters that we've seen Solomon's life depicted. David had so much airtime in Scripture, and Solomon, before the end of chapter 11, he dies. But before he does, you see uh, Jeroboam come on the scene, and Solomon tries to kill him, and there's going to be a rivalry all the way to the end, and uh, we haven't seen the last of Jeroboam. That's coming up next. But uh, it says that Solomon reigned for 40 years. That's a long time that Solomon is reigning in Jerusalem. And he did a lot of things that God directed him to do. And those were good and lasting things in Israel. But in the end, it's a sad story because of his apostasy in his latter years. Luke 24, uh, the victory over the cross and the victory over sin is uh, not only symbolized, but it's lived out in real time and space through the bodily resurrection of Christ. And this is the empty tomb. It says it's the first day of the week. It's why we worship and gather for worship when we can gather for worship on the first day of the week and no longer the Sabbath as we saw the temple veil uh, torn in two, not only the sacrifices and the priesthood and all the furnishings of the temple, but also even the day on which the Christians gathered uh, was going to shift now to Sunday. We have a new day, a new covenant, a new thing called the church, one new man, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. And uh, we see that all because of uh, the day that God had decided that Jesus would rise from the dead. The road to Emmaus, we see that scene. It's fascinating as Jesus describes the ministry of the Messiah in the text of the Old Testament. And then he says this, which is always a stinging indictment in Luke 24, O foolish ones and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Uh, what an amazing statement. As I've said before, this is going to people who had to work hard to get a hold of Scripture or to hear it read. We have it everywhere. It's ubiquitous. We have it on our phones. We have it you know, on every shelf, it seems, in our house. And uh, the Bible says not only should we read it and know it, we ought to believe it. And we ought not be called foolish by God by neglecting to take in this information and put our trust in what God has said. Today, our exhortation from Scripture as we relate to one another is found in first. Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And this is just a great set of words here, especially in the original language. It says, We urge you, brothers, 
uh, to admonish the idle. We dealt with that yesterday. And here's the part I want you to focus in on, uh, to encourage the faint-hearted. Three words in English, to encourage the faint-hearted. Let me start with faint-hearted. That's the word. Literally, it's a compound word, short in, in soul. Your soul is depleted. It's like a, a, a I don't know, a gas tank. Today, I, this morning, I got gas and um, really early this morning before dawn to, to fill up my tank. And I recognized, uh, you know, you've got to pay attention to the dial and you've got some people, so to speak, their emotions and their, their life, they're disheartened, they're despondent, they're not well in terms of their, their, their attitude, their heart, and they're, as it says here, faint-hearted, they're discouraged. Uh, timid is one way you can describe this. They just they can't face life the way they ought to. They don't have the vitality, the vibrancy to move forward in life. And it says here, you would encourage them. Now we expect the word parakaleo. We've dealt with that so much. The average word or the normal word we would expect to find that translates into the word uh, encourage. But here we don't have that. We have a, word, a different word. It's a compound word. It starts with the same preposition para, but it uh, has to do with consoling and, and, and giving comfort to. And it's a much more tender word in the sense that it's not just coming and bringing the right bricks or the right guide to prop someone up, but it's the picture of really soothing and calming and helping someone through their difficulty so that you can cheer them and get them back, you know, in the parakaleo kind of way to, to prop them up. But it starts with a real understanding to encourage them, to find those in need of encouragement and to lift their spirit. So I guess that's one way to put it. Today, I just said, encourage the faint-hearted. Those are the words of the text, but find someone that needs to be uplifted and do what you can with your words and your attitudes, maybe a gift, something you do that will help to to lift their spirits today. That's how the body of Christ ought to function. And um, I just think that's a great way for you to do it. Maybe you can even comment today on how you've had that happen in your life or how someone has done something for you that has heartened you and lifted your spirits. How has that taken place? And I'd love to hear uh, from you in the comments. That's a great way for us to interact. And also be sure to subscribe and we'll be back tomorrow as we continue our reading through the Old and New Testaments.